Welcome to our latest podcast. I'm Chuck Marple, your host, and I'm here with my daughter and co-host, Karen E. How are you doing today on this fine Thursday morning, Karen? I'm good, but like you said, I keep thinking it's Friday. So that's always a big disappointment when it's not actually Friday, when you keep thinking it's Friday. See, because you're like in a semi-retirement, you're the same thing. One day is the same as the other in, in some respects. Yep. But it's when you really, really retired, it really is the same. You have to tell yourself, well, what day is today? Today, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to revisit a little bit with the Roe versus Wade and what it means for women. And we're going to do some other topics on our news and views today. One of the things that constantly is, I think, the fear is that the Roe versus Wade overturning with this Supreme Court is not the end of it. What do you think? I don't know. I I've seen separate things, you know, like the the majority opinion that it was a standalone thing and it shouldn't be taken to overturn anything else. And then, you know, Clarence Thomas specifically saying that he's looking to target other things. But what I think maybe surprised some people is how the majority of the public has reacted to this. Most people support abortion at some level, whether it's, you know, life of the mother, rape, incest victims, those sorts of things. And it's a very small minority that don't believe in even those caveats to it. So I think a super majority probably support it in some way or another. So I think the the reason, or not the reason, uh, because the public has reacted so fiercely to this and the other things that follow along with it, you know, contraception, gay marriage and all that, those are actually way more people in the public support those than than abortion, according to numbers. And so if abortion, which, you know, had a lower percentage of people that approved of it, are reacting this way, I think the Supreme Court may realize that they really cannot take away those things without a major revolt. It could be. I think the thing that we need to do is almost clarify the trueness of what it is for them to say pro-life and i've said this before is hypocrisy because the majority of the people who are against abortion are also in favor of capital punishment you know a potential life versus a definitive life whether no matter i don't care what they've done wrong and 10 percent of the people who are executed they've said over history or more have been innocent and proven innocent later on and probably the percentage of truly innocent is on there, even if you take away the whole concept of life. But it, it is a very serious thing. And I think what, what bothers me is it's shown the Supreme Court to be so focused on their own personal agenda, which is not in the agenda of the majority of people, as you said. Uh, we have not seen something that controversial and that bad for the Supreme Court since uh, the Fugitive Slave Act was reaffirmed in the Dred Scott decision in 1857. And I thought, uh, you know, that, that is such a big thing. In fact, last night on, or was actually on uh, Tuesday night, Colbert had AOC on Alexandria uh, Cortez. And she was going back on there. She had a little mix up on, on, on who, on, on uh, the date on it. But she talked about that same thing, how major this is just like the, uh, that Dred Scott decision. You know, we could go all day, as we did on the other, most of the time uh, on this, but we all know that this is not a popular decision. 
This is put in by a president, mostly a president, who did not receive the majority of the votes then and got whooped in this last election. There's no way to say it, but whooped. Seven million votes is a big, big number to lose by. And he lost Electoral College by the same number that he won it the first time. So let's go look at something a little bit more worldwide. One of the things I find very fascinating about the effects of Putin invading Ukraine, how he's driven two countries that have historically been non-aligned. Finland, which really has been non-aligned since World War II, and even more importantly, Sweden, who's been non-aligned for nearly 300 years. And he was pushed them into this out of the fear of what he had done in Ukraine. I think that, I think, honestly, I think of Finland and Sweden as kind of like the people that just want to stay out of it. They just want to stay out of politics. They want to be everybody's friend. They, they want to get along with everybody. And so they don't have the strongest militaries. They don't have the most built up defenses because they get along with everybody. And when you see Ukraine get attacked so brutally for no good reason that just, you know, it's all fabricated, you start to fear that that could happen to you. And suddenly it's like, well, I've got to take sides. And there's Russia that is brutal. Like, I don't, I, I can't say that their military is highly trained and very good and effective anymore, but they have a very large military. They have a lot of equipment. And when you're within striking range, it's either be friendly with them, which isn't going to go well with other big countries that that you probably agree with more politically, or align with the big group and get yourself some protection. And I think that's where they came from with this. You know, let well, me just I, get protection from the big group that's on the right side of history. Well, I agree. And then one of the, the things that they're seeing is that uh, Russia was willing to attack one of the largest militaries in Central Europe, <clears throat> in the Ukraine. And, you know, at one time, Ukraine had nuclear weapons in there, and there was a big division of that at the end of the Soviet Union. And, and it is, and it's a major thing. Finland is a very dangerous country for, for Russia because they have shown, they showed that back in World War II, how they fought back when Russia invaded them. But the happiest countries that with Finland and Sweden coming in Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, the Baltic countries, because they are small, very, very small forces, and they are right there, and they've been invaded by Russia many times. They actually welcomed Germany in the beginning with the Nazis coming in and liberating them, and they found out the Nazis know no better, no better than Stalin. So, and Yeah, and, and I, think, I think a lot of people underestimated Ukraine, and I, and I almost feel like Zelensky wanted that. Like, because I know that we were unaware of how feisty they were and how fiercely protective they were of their country. Like some of the things that I've learned about them, and I think you told me one of them about, you know, some of the ordinary citizens flying drones and reporting Russian locations because they're playing with toy drones, you know, things like that. Everybody's on the side of Ukraine, except for the Russian sympathizers, which is, you know, the excuse that Putin made. But it just blows my mind that they love their country so much that they, they would put their themselves in harm's way, even as untrained citizens that are doing whatever they can to contribute. 
not only that, since they were able to do it, so many millions of the people who who left Ukraine have come back. And in Kiev and other cities, even though they're still under attack occasion, they're making a life again, which is which is, is fascinating. I saw that Russia Russia is leaving Snake Island. Yeah, I saw that. that and that's a too. huge, a huge moral boost. What they're trying to say is they're doing it because uh, to, to make it easier for Ukraine to export grain. But the truth of the matter is that, as the people on Odessa said, it's because now we, they have those big howitzers that we gave them and everything, and they're getting bombarded on there, and they really can't defend it. And they can't bring their ships in to defend it that well because now Ukraine has harpooned anti-ship missiles. So after sinking to Moscow, they've got to really, really worry about what can be done. The problem yeah. that we face on here is a problem that really was a horrible thing for my generation and less so for your generation. I was brought up in the time of the Cold War. I was brought up in time of the Cuban Missile Crisis where we came with a hairbreadth of having at least tactical nuclear weapons used. We had nuclear weapons on board of cruisers, we had nuclear we and they had nuclear weapons on board of submarines, and they almost came in direct conflict. That would not have been good. Thank God, cooler heads prevailed. Uh, Khrushchev linked, and we made some uh, changes as where we had missiles in Turkey, so it, it, it came out. But we still went through the time. You looked at a transistor radio at the time, and it had two little diamonds on it, or triangles on it, and they were called Conrad stations. Every other station would have gone off in an emergency, and those would have been on telling us what was going on and what was going. You go to a fair, and they showed you how to make fallout shelters tell you how to cover and all these kinds of things. And I was hoping at the end of the Soviet Union and when we were getting along with, with Russia, that maybe we were over that. And yet here we have nuclear saber rattling again by Russia. And then we have added Iran as a possibility in there. We have, have added uh, North Korea as a definitive in there. And who knows with China, they're kind of an always an unknown. Yeah, you know, in the military, you're always looking at the potential threats and planning for any one of those situations or all of them, if they all decided to go rogue at the same time, you know, how, how do we do that? That's the sort of thing that you don't want to see, but you always have to be prepared for. Yeah. There was a, a study I read many, many years ago, probably 20, 20 plus. It's called the TTAP study and it was led by Carl Sagan when he was alive down in Cornell. And what they did, they did computer simulations of what 50 nuclear weapons hitting the U.S. and 50 nuclear weapons hitting Russia would do. And the big thing that came out of it was the temperature drop. And the temperature drop would have been 30 or 40 degrees on the average temperature around at least the northern hemisphere and to a certain amount in the southern hemisphere as well. And that was when they came up with the term of nuclear winter. And this is this is this are tactical or small strategic weapons. These aren't the six thousand weapons that are available or more to be used by just those two nations, which would exterminate civilization as we know it. So it's a scary time again. I, I got willing we won't have that, but it's still scary because we were always learned about the idea of mutually assured destruction or the MAD theory, and that said that if one shoots. The other's going to shoot back, and eventually it's going to be destroy both nations plus everybody around the, around the globe. So, again, God willing, we won't have those kinds of things. 
Let's just make a more interesting bombshell, if you want. The bombshell of Cassidy Hutchison. I mean, I, I was thinking when they had first said that it was a, a, an intimate in there and, it was, and doing it so suddenly with 24 hours notice and high security and everything, I thought it might be Pat Cipollone. But it, it wasn't. It was, it was a, not much farther below her and somebody that Trump said he had barely knew and we saw they showed plenty of pictures of her being within three feet or four feet of the ex-president. So, and she, everybody else said she was well known. To watch her testimony, it was a very fascinating time because she was so matter of fact. She'd smile and laugh at certain times, but the most fact it was just like it was in there, and and you could see her passion at the same time. I was extremely impressed. She was probably the best all-around witness they've had. What I bet happened is that I, I, she got subpoenaed, didn't she? I don't think she, she didn't volunteer to be there. And she wasn't going to get the same level of protection as some of the other people that have refused to testify. And I feel like she probably felt left out in the cold and thought, well, I have to do this and I have to be honest. I'm not going to lie and go down with this ship because all these people were there and all these people saw this. So I'm just going to have to say what happened. Yep. And when that was, they wanted her to, re, uh, to ignore the subpoena, she got a different lawyer and her lawyer was there behind her. Yeah. And then she, and she was willing and she testified. I mean, so matter of factly about all these facts and all these things on here. And she's still standing by her testimony of what she was told by uh, the deputy. Um, Chief of Staff and the, the Secret Service agent that was was on there and talking about it. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I'll tell you right now, if I was Pat Cipollone, after would have been said, I would be out there talking to the committee and giving everything that I know because I'm now going to be put in big time jeopardy by not doing it. Yeah, and I think you know, I think for a lot of people, they've seen what Trump has done and how he has ruined people, you know, financially and their reputation. If he decides that he doesn't like you for whatever reason, and you speak out about your truth, you look at all the people, this collateral damage from his inner circle, like Michael Cohen and Omarosa, and all of these people that he worked with at some point that have come out and said what they saw and what happened with them. And all of their stories are the same. You know, Michael Cohen, that was what, two, two, three years ago now. And I watched his testimony as he was testifying. He talked about those sort of like big mafia tactics and the intimidation. Like, no, he didn't explicitly say this, but you knew what he meant. And that is a pattern that continues to repeat itself in all of these witnesses. Yeah, the first time I, I saw Anthony about that was in Comey's book way early on. And he said it, it reminded him, Trump reminded him of him, of when they, he was prosecuting Mafia Dons, where they do it and, and they're just moving up the ladder. And that's what this committee is doing. And it looks like this is what the Justice Department is doing too, moving up the ladder as they go go and, and, and do these various things. They've gone after Eastman's phone, who was a big thing. And I think the big thing they're going to be pushing at this point anyways, is the attempt to defraud the nation by the fake electors and everything going on there. Because that's a, a definitive federal crime. 
that they're going to be able to do to to work on. And I just think you know what she had said is important and I think uh, critical to this. And she has to worry. I mean, look at what happened to those poor poll workers in Georgia. It, it was it was I was disgusted that, that this woman had to give up a business by her name, and the and the uh, her daughter doesn't want to go shopping with her because she's afraid her mother's going to call out her name and somebody's going to shoot her or, or try and hurt her. Sp- speaking yeah. of hurt, I don't know if you saw the little video of uh, Giuliani. Did you see that little video? No. Okay, he was in a supermarket. And he, he was he had gone to the men's room and came back out and all these people were adoring him, kissing him, hugging him and all this stuff, supposedly. It didn't look quite that, what the video said. And this person comes up and taps him on the back like, now he said, this person pushed him so hard, this, other, this woman was near him, actually almost fell over too. You looked at the video, and he put all this stuff up before the video came out. He looked at the video. The guy would be like, I had just touched your back. But for Giuliani, it was a big, big thing. <coughs> I, saw, I saw that on Colbert. It was, it was an unbelievably minor thing that he's trying to make into he was attacked. All, it's all, not all surprising. Work. No, all, uh, all all these things. Your mother and I agree that these people like Eastman and Giuliani should never be able to practice law again anywhere. It's surprising to me how how many people don't understand it. I don't know. Have you ever watched um, Jordan Klepper on the Daily yeah. Show? He does yeah. a lot of things. Like if you if you look him up, he does a lot of videos where he goes to different Trump rallies and. He talks to people, and I watched one this morning that was, it's the most recent one, I believe. He went to Mississippi to one of the Trump rallies, and he was talking to people, and, you know, he his big thing was, are you watching the January 6th hearings? And there were these two girls, and they didn't know, and they didn't even know what he was talking about. And there was this other guy he talked to, and he said, are you watching the hearings? And the guy was like, no. And his wife was like, we're not wasting time on that. That's just a, a crazed mob of people going after the president for their own political agenda. And and Jordan goes, so a bunch of angry people that don't agree with what's happened and they want to they want to kill somebody and they want to like change the course of something. They're like, yeah. And he's like, and you don't like that. And they're like, no, that is not okay. And he was like, <laughs> got it. And like, that's the kind of stuff that he does is he sort of turns, it's the same. I don't know if you've seen Kim's daily show clip. It's that guy. He turns your words on you and and you'll like actually make his point for him because you're not paying attention. Like, and he showed them some of the things from the hearing and like, he showed them what Ivanka said, how she, you know, Bill Barr said there was no fraud and she said she believed that. And one guy was like, that's not her. She's under duress. That doesn't, it's a clone. That's a clone of Ivanka. And it was like, wow, the cognitive dissonance that you're practicing to to believe such craziness. It is, it is craziness. I don't know where we're going to go with about 30% of our population is still, as they used to say, drinking the Kool-Aid. Hey, for, it's for just, leaders, don't know, leaders don't know what the drinking the Kool-Aid is. They may not realize that there is a real precedence on that. And I actually have a, an anecdote that goes with that. 
many years ago, back in the early 80s, I believe it was, there was a guy out in California named Jim Jones. And he had bought some land from in, I think it was Guyana. And he took his whole people down there called Jonestown. And they got down there and they were living their own life. Like a, a, basically it was a cult. And some people, some family complained to the government. So a congressman went down there and ended up being shot. So next thing you know, they, they, they send uh, FBI or whatever down there. And what they found was over a thousand people. All the people in that had drank Kool-Aid laced with cyanide because they believed all the lies that Jim Jones was telling them. And they gave the Kool-Aid to their children. They watched their children die and then they killed themselves. There's no, a I really good documentary on that, actually, that I've watched. And it turns out there's a lot more people that were forcefully injected yeah. with it. You know, a lot of people were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, we're really doing this. But what he did was he normalized this this action of like, oh, there's people coming. We got to do the thing. And they would all like practice this. And they did that for a couple of years. So it became a thing that they just did and it never seemed weird to them. So when it really happened, some of them just did it. Like they didn't even think twice about it. And some of them were like, wait, wait, this is real? Like the kids? We didn't do it this way before. And those people, there were some that were shot too, that just yeah, tried to get away. A few, two or three years after that, I was teaching, co-teaching a class on CPR. Uh, with a man who was uh, one of the, was a medical technologist that worked in the uh, for the government in the, the entrance exams for military people, people in the army, air force, and so on, that went on there. And he got talked about. It. He had been one of the first people down there, and he said the smell after those people uh, decaying for several days before they got down there was horrendous. And they had had gas masks and everything they were using. They use and they had to put extra Lysol on their filters, like every thirty minutes, in there, just to keep the smell from nauseating them continuously. And then he was yeah. down there like five or six days taking care of those bodies, and it was just an unbelievably horrible experience. And that really brought it home to me that I had actually known somebody who had actually been there. So it was quite a thing. So when we talk about when people talk about drinking the Kool Aid. They're referring to how people can be brainwashed to the to the extent of, of of taking of being violent, violent to themselves or violent to others. So that's where and that's that's but what it is, and it's what it's what has happened with Trump. You you do these things until they're normalized. Like you look in the media now, and there's no people are so mean. You know they 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 make comments about women's appearances and things like professional people because he called that reporter's horse face and he mocked handicapped people and he did all these things and at first people were like oh well, that's just kind of how he is but then they started doing it and now there's so many people that are so mean and nasty and they don't think about what they say before they say it or how it might be hurtful you know it doesn't cost anybody anything to just be kind to strangers you don't have to love everybody but you, you can be kind for a couple minutes in interactions with strangers. Yeah, yeah it, it, there is it's so much meanness out there. And they're, they're, I will not say that all people on the left are nice to everybody on the right. I think that we need to be able to talk. It just is that uh, 
the there's people on the left are more willing to investigate what is true and not true, and people on the right seem to be willing to follow it. I mean, some of it is education, some of it is where you live, so much of it is out there. But the fact that one person could do this proves how vulnerable human beings are to the big lie. But the then what back to, back to Hitler? What what you what you do, and it's 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 really common way to manipulate people, like in cults and in all kinds of things. Is you like there's two things. It's it's fear. You get people to be scared of a thing, or you figure out what they're scared of, and you figure out how to speak to that fear. And the other part is flattery, or you're part of something bigger than yourself. It's how the military indoctrinates. It's how all these cults indoctrinate. You're special because you're going to do these things to help people. I I really believe I've watched a lot of cult documentaries, you know, Scientology and Jonestown and Nexium and just any cult documentary that's out there. I've probably already seen it because it's fascinating to me how these like scores of people get manipulated. But when they when you watch the initial episodes on the well done ones, what they do is they show you what's good about it. They show you. You feel like you're part of a community. You feel like you are doing good things to help other people. You feel like you have something special. And then they start to talk about the fear. And that's how they get you afraid of the government. And that's how they get you to do weird things like go away on a ship with L. Ron Hubbard. Like strange things like that that don't make any sense when you're on the outside looking in. But once you get brought in the fold, it doesn't seem like anything to mortgage your house a third time to pay for new Scientology books. Like, you know, and that is how... It's, it's all of these cults are different in their own weird way, but that is the basis of it. And that I see that same structure in a lot of things. I see it with, you know, evangelicals and I see it with Trumpsters and people that get caught up in a group. You know, that may be one thing we do, we discuss the role of uh, religion in what's going on in here, both good and bad, because, because it is, and we, we tend to, uh, ignore God in these arguments and what they're doing. We tend to think that we are on the, the God's on our side rather than saying God is not on any side. God's on the side of God and what it, what what his plan is for all of us. And it, it gets very complicated when you do it, but that might be an interesting topic for us to explore in the, in the future as well. Well, you know, we covered a lot, a lot of things in a, a relatively short time on, on this day. We're going to try and do at least one a week of, of these podcasts for, as far as I can see, for a while. Because uh, there's so much to, to talk and there's so many changes day by day. So thank you for the time again, Karen, co-hosting here and, and your news and views as well as my own. We appreciate that. And thank you listeners for being out there and supporting us. I see we're just getting some increase in listeners once again, and I appreciate that. God bless you. God take care of you. God bless our great country and all of its legitimate leaders. Have a great morning and weekend and celebrate the 4th of July coming up. Celebrate being an American. We're still one of the greatest countries in the world, not the greatest. We can still make it better again. Good afternoon. Good morning.